text for this morning's sermon is James 2, the verses 1 to 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes, also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into, the cor- into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning I want to talk to you about shame. Now, shame is different from guilt. Guilt is something you experience in the courtroom where you stand alone before a judge. That can happen in real life when you've committed a crime. It also happens in our relationship with God. When you've sinned against God or your neighbor, You feel guilty. A guilty person expects punishment and needs forgiveness. Shame is different. We experience shame in the community. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. Shame says you don't belong. You're unacceptable. You're a loser. Shame is part of our fallen human condition. We're all ashamed of certain things in our lives. Imagine it was possible for technology to take your thoughts and emotions and play them on a big screen in color for all to see. Would you be comfortable having all your thoughts and desires displayed publicly? Are there things in your life that you want to hide? Are there things that you don't want others to know about? That's how we identify shame. Shame is more than just being embarrassed by something that's happened in our lives. Shame includes feelings of being unclean, 
unworthy or being an outcast. We think if people knew such and such about me, they would reject me and despise me. We bring shame on people by how we treat them. Parents cause their children to feel unworthy and unloved by regularly belittling them or making harsh and critical comments about them or by comparing them to their siblings in a negative way. Students can belittle a fellow classmate by saying or doing something that indicates they're not cool. Anyone who gets bullied experiences shame. They feel like they don't measure up. We can create such feelings in people also by what, also by what we don't do, by ignoring someone, showing no interest in them, not speaking to them, not showing any form of love. One of the ways that we bring shame on others is by showing favoritism. Favoritism is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. When we play favorites, we judge one person to be worthy of our time and attention while shoving another away. Our text calls this partiality. We show a bias or a preference towards one person over another. Usually it is the rich, the powerful, the popular, the attractive that get preferential treatment, while the poor, the weak, the loners, the unattractive ones don't. God hates it when we show favoritism. It goes against who he is. God is fair in his dealings with all people. Your status, wealth, race, or gender don't matter to him. God doesn't give an unfair advantage to the cool people. He does not despise or reject those whom we deem worthy of less honor. Jesus Christ came into this world to deliver us, not just from the guilt of our sins, but also from the shame we bear because of our sins or sins committed against us. Our text teaches us to reflect God and his son, Jesus Christ, in how we treat those around us. James commands us as Christians not to show partiality. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Don't show favoritism. We'll see how favoritism is wrong and how loving others is right. James has been teaching us that if we are true Christians, we need to not just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. He makes it clear that it's not enough to attend church and profess the truths of the Christian faith. Your faith needs to show in daily life. Religious talk can be cheap. True devotion to God must show itself in concrete acts of love and righteousness. 
At the end of James 1, James gave three tests by which we can measure our spirituality. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and undefiled includes controlling your tongue, looking after widows and orphans in their distress, and remaining unstained or unpolluted from the world. In our text, James provides an example of how easy it is to fail the test of true spirituality. He makes it clear that those who believe in Jesus Christ should show no partiality. Faith and favoritism are incompatible. If you were to translate James 2 verse 1 literally from the Greek, it says, My brothers, do not hold the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with favoritism. As we practice our faith, we should not show personal favoritism to some over others because of their wealth, their appearance, or their social standing. Now, James's command not to show partiality or favoritism is not a new command. In Leviticus 19.15, Moses taught God's people Israel not to pervert justice. He said, You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. When Jehoshaphat was king of, the, king of Judah, he brought reforms to the land. He appointed judges and told them that when they judged the people, they did so as representatives of the Lord. He commanded, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, no partiality or taking bribes. Many texts in the Old Testament make it clear that God's people were inclined to show favoritism to rich and influential people at the cost of the poor and the needy. It's not hard to figure out why. Often it was a matter of, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. By nature, we're more attracted to people who are successful, perhaps thinking subconsciously that some of that will rub off on us. By nature, we tend to shy away from homeless people or others who are in some way needy, fearing that they may require things from us that we don't really want to give. It was not just God's people, Israel, who were inclined to show partiality in their dealings with their fellow man. Human nature is not all that different, no matter what age we live in. Also, the early church faced issues in showing favoritism, in our text, James gives an example of how this could happen. Just picture the scene. God's people have gathered, likely for worship. Seats are scarce. Just before starting time, two men arrive. The one wears fine clothes and a gold ring. He's obviously a well-to-do man. A poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. His clothes clearly have not been recently washed. Perhaps he smells a little bit. Someone at the back of the assembly watches them enter and makes a decision. The rich man will get the last good seat. The poor man is expected to stand in the corner or to sit on the floor. Our text does not say if the two men are believers or not doesn't indicate whether or not they attended regularly. 
doesn't tell us if they had friends in the assembly or not. We just know that two men are coming into a gathering of believers. The one wears gold and the other wears rags. Our text makes clear how favoritism was shown to the rich man over against the poor man. He was given a place of honor while the poor man was treated like a servant and made to feel unwelcome. Beloved, we are all inclined to this sort of behavior. We often make judgments based on outward appearances. We are comfortable with people like us. We're less comfortable with those who are not. We're more accepting of those who fit in, less accepting of those who are different. We often discriminate in wrong ways. When we discriminate on the basis of what someone looks like, or on how rich or poor they are, or what social standing they have, we're showing favoritism. It happens so easily. Often it happens without us even noticing. Think about the situation at school where a group of kids are going to play volleyball or basketball or soccer. Two of the more popular or more athletic kids are chosen as captains. They take turns choosing the other kids to be on their team. As players are chosen, they join their teams, and the pool of unchosen players gets smaller and smaller. With each pick, the remaining kids get increasingly self-conscious and more embarrassed. Shame is reserved for the last one chosen. Slowly, he walks to the team that's gotten stuck with him. The opposing team laughs, while the team receiving him groans as if they've been contaminated. No one says, it's okay, we're all in this together. And if that team loses, the last one chosen will often serve as scapegoat for the team's loss. School can be a pretty cruel environment for our kids. Often there are various cliques. The cool kids wear designer jeans and name brand sneakers. Some who are less well off can't afford those kind of clothes. Subtle messages get sent. The cool, kids, the cool kids give off a I'm better than you vibe. They don't include some of the less cool kids in their circle of friends. They don't talk to them. They don't invite them to their birthday parties or to other social events. And some kids are ostracized. At times they get bullied. It makes them angry and upset but it also creates intense feelings of shame inside of them. Such kids often feel like they're flawed. They don't belong. They're unworthy of love. It's not just kids that have to deal with shame. Adults do too. There's many things in life that can cause shame. Living in a relationship with a spouse who belittles you or verbally abuses you is very hard. But sometimes people feel compelled to endure abuse in silence. 
because it's shameful to reveal that the person who's supposed to love you berates you. Suffering a marriage breakdown or being fired from your job or suffering anxiety or depression. These things often bring shame. What will people think of me? They may consider me weak or flawed. And so we beat ourselves up. We consider ourselves to be unworthy or unlovable. Sexual sins are often the source of much shame. Even if those sins were committed against us without our consent, we feel unclean, contaminated, We think if others knew our dirty little secret, they'd despise us. So we try not to think about it, to shove it away, to cram it into a little box inside and nail the lid shut. But the problem is that while others may not be aware, you are. And the result is that you feel dirty, you feel flawed, you feel broken. You think that if others knew, they'd reject you. And so you carry the burden inside, and over time it eats you up. You see, beloved, we're very sensitive to what others think about us. No one likes to be judged. When we treat one person one way and the other a different way, we are discriminating between them. James addresses this in our text. In verse 4, James asks, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here we see the basic problem of favoritism exposed. We don't accept people for who they are. We don't see them as people created in the image of God. We don't recognize our fellow Christians as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as members of the family of God. No, we discriminate. We judge. We see some as better than others. We look up to some and we look down on others. We show honor and respect and deference to the rich, the powerful, the popular, the attractive ones. And we ignore or show disdain toward the poor, the weak, the loners, the unattractive. When we show favoritism, we make distinctions God does not make. In In making distinctions, our hearts are often full of evil thoughts and motives. When we shame someone else, we're saying in our hearts, I'm better than you. And therefore, I have the right to exclude you or to make you feel like you don't belong. In the early church, that was expressed by where you sat in the assembly of believers. You don't have to go too far back in church history to be in a time when the rich bought pews at the front of the church, while those less well off were expected to sit or stand at the back. Yet James makes clear that God does not show favoritism to the rich and the powerful. If anything, God does the opposite. 
James writes, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which is promised to those who love him? Please notice that word, chosen. Those who are discriminated against often feel like they don't belong, like they are unworthy, like they're outcasts. But James brings a very healthy corrective to such thinking. No matter what your status or your social standing may be in the church, God has chosen you. You're not unworthy. You're not unloved. You belong. Because Almighty God, our Father in Jesus Christ, has chosen you. We read this morning a part of Deuteronomy 7. Here Moses speaks about how the Lord had chosen his people Israel as his treasured possession from from out of all the peoples of the earth. So why did God choose Israel? It was not because they were a great and mighty nation. For when God chose them, they were the fewest of all peoples. It was not because they were a rich or attractive group of people for God to adopt as his own. The Israelites were poor and despised slaves in exile in Egypt when God began his redemptive work among them. God didn't choose Israel because they were such a lovable group of people. During their wilderness sojourn, they rebelled against the Lord ten times. God chose the Israelites because he loved them. And because in his love, he was committed to them. Paul brings this same perspective in the last verses of 1 Corinthians 1. In Corinth, the people whom God chose to call from out of darkness into the light of Christ were nothing special. Paul writes, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. It's not that God cannot or does not choose any of the rich or powerful or influential members of society to be his own. Yet often such people don't see any need for God. And so God chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, the lowly and the despised, so that we may all realize that we belong to the family of God, not because of something we merit. It's a gift of grace. Beloved, please hear what the word of the Lord has to say about showing favoritism. James writes, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Showing favoritism is sin. You are breaking God's holy law if you treat people differently because of their wealth, their appearance, their social standing or race. And beloved, we do it all the time. Perhaps not always intentionally. But if we're willing to honestly examine our lives, we have to admit that we often don't fare well 
in this first test of our spirituality brings us to our second point. And we'll see how loving others is right. Striking to note how James begins our passage. He addresses his readers as, my brothers. Then in verse 5, when offering a corrective against showing favoritism, James addresses us as, my beloved brothers. Though he was a leader in the early church, James does not set himself above his brothers and sisters in the faith. He appeals to us as fellow brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really important. For the church of Jesus Christ, we're all members of one body. We all confess Christ as head. In addressing the sin of favoritism, James points us back to Jesus Christ. It's interesting how he describes the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ truly is the King of glory. He's currently seated on the throne at God's right hand. He's worthy of all honor and praise for who he is and for what he's done for us. Contrast the, consider the contrast that James is making in our text. We show favoritism to certain people and we discriminate against others. But why are we elevating certain people? Christ is the King of glory. He and he alone is worthy of our praise and adoration. Despite the fact that Jesus was the son of David, the promised Messiah, he never claimed a place of honor for himself. When he came into this world, Jesus did so with great humility. He left behind the glory, majesty, honor, and praise he had received in heaven. When he was born, his mother laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus grew up in obscurity in a small town in Galilee. Even though he was Lord and King of the universe, you'd never know it from looking at the life that Jesus lived. We read a few verses from Isaiah 61, which describe the reason why Jesus came into this world. The Lord anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are in chains. The poor, the brokenhearted, those captivated by sin and its consequences, these are the ones that we often discriminate against. Christ came to deliver those whose hearts are filled with shame. He came to save the so-called losers and rejects. He came to provide freedom to those who consider themselves unclean, unworthy, unlovable. Just consider how Jesus treated those around him. He did not discriminate on the basis of appearance, race, sex, wealth, or social standing. Jesus drew much criticism from the Jewish leaders, for he often socialized with the outcasts of society. 
The Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecy of Micah 6, verse 8. He did what was good, what God requires from each one of us. Jesus acted justly. He loved kindness. He walked humbly with his God. And you know, beloved, what the people's response to the Lord Jesus was? The Jewish leaders discriminated against the Lord Jesus because they were envious of his standing among the people. Did the scribes and Pharisees ever invite Jesus to sit in the honored place? No. They didn't even say to him, stand over there or sit at my feet. When their conflict with Jesus came to a head, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They put to death the king of glory, even though he'd never done anything wrong. Beloved, we know that it was according to the definite foreknowledge and the plan of God that Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus had to suffer and die for our sins. Also for those sins of showing favoritism to some while discriminating against others. Do you know how Jesus paid for our sins? By suffering the agony and the shame of the cross. Jesus was stripped naked, he was crucified, made into a public spectacle. The message of crucifixion was, you're the scum of the earth. You're cursed by God. But Christ bore our shame to free us from all shame. By offering his blood as an atoning sacrifice, he has cleansed us from our sins. He's restored us to communion with God. The question is, how will we respond to his mercy and grace. Our text teaches us by not showing favoritism. But what does that look like? How can we implement that in our daily lives? Beloved, to do that, we need to put on the mind of Christ. Paul gives concrete instruction about this in the first verses of Philippians 2. He warns us not to do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. He tells us that in humility, we should consider others better than ourselves. That's what Jesus did. Although he was God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. You see, beloved, life is not all about you. That's not a popular message in our culture today. Our culture teaches us that nice guys finish last. So many ads tell us to pamper ourselves 
Because we don't know when else will. Our society teaches us to be selfish, to be self-centered. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to learn to love others as Christ first loved us. No matter who they are. No matter what they look like. No matter what their race or their social standing may be. We need to learn to truly live our faith. Now, beloved, that begins right here in congregational life. We need to be willing to get out of our comfort zone, visiting with family and friends, to build relationships with those who don't have much family or many friends. We need to get out of our cliques, to build friendships with those who are lonely, with those who face ongoing issues in their lives. We need to reach out to those who are filled with shame because of things that have gone wrong in their lives. We need to show them that they belong and that they're loved. Because God has chosen them. Because in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters of one another. Beloved, we love because Christ first loved us. Romans 5 verse 5 teaches that if we're people of faith, then God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Spirit who has been given to us. Now we can talk piously about how God loves all his children. But there are those also among us whose hearts are filled with shame. who don't really believe that message. If we discriminate against fellow brothers and sisters by not involving or including them, by not showing forth our love in any way, then people may be inclined to see us as hypocrites who profess faith in Christ, but who don't show it in their lives. The point I'm making is that we are Christ's image bearers. We are often the face of God to others who face struggles and sorrows in their lives. People notice if you show favoritism to some and discriminate against others. We're aware about whether or not those around us truly care for us. We need to show the love of Christ to our family members, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to all those whom we encounter in daily life. That's how we can show forth our thankfulness for the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's how we can exalt our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, and praise his holy name. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 69, stanzas 1, 3, and 10. This is a psalm of David, a messianic psalm that Christ later takes on his lips. It's a plea for deliverance and a testimony of how God will rescue his captive people.